This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, Real Talkers, you have uh, stood up en masse following yesterday's episode. want to thank those of you that have uh, made sure to catch it while you're at home. Uh, a lot of you, while you're on the road, we're getting emails from you on vacation. Uh, we know that to be true because you're telling that. We sure appreciate it from the most engaged audience in Canada. We're talking about energy. I think as, as the titan of talk, Charles Adler said yesterday, Johnny, he wished us, I think it was an electrifying week, knowing that we were going to be talking about power and sources of power, power yeah. generation, we're talking about Alberta's electricity grid today. We're going to be joined by Alberta's Minister of Environment and Protected Areas, the Honorable Rebecca Schultz, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, yesterday, she basically fired back at Ottawa, says that, that Ottawa is trying to grind Alberta's gears, trying to push Alberta's back against the wall with a series of conditions. If Alberta wants to tap into access for federal funds, which you'd think would be a good thing when it comes to energy development, when it comes to economic opportunity, when it comes to drawing and attracting investment to the province. Well, if Alberta wants those funds or if those funds are to be released from federal purse strings, then Alberta's going to have to comply and other provinces as well with, with Ottawa's plan to get their grid to net zero status by 2035. Schultz says she didn't appreciate the fact that federal ministers are announcing this by way of a statement, says it's not how you get business done. Nothing new here. Alberta and Ottawa at loggerheads. It's been good, arguably, for both levels of government over the years, but who gets hurt in all of this? Is it industry? Is it the average citizen? I'm going to ask the minister today where she thinks that the provincial and federal governments might find common ground. We're going to ask her about her conversation just after the Calgary Stampede with Federal Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo. You probably remember back on July 19th when he talked to us here on Real Talk. It was just a couple of hours before he was getting set to talk to her. So we're curious to know how that conversation went. Plus, obviously, we're going to talk about this nearly seven-month moratorium on new wind and solar projects that the Alberta government has announced. There's been enormous blowback to this, and I'm curious to pick the minister's brain on that. Now, she's not the minister of affordability and utilities. That's Minister Newdorf that announced it. She's not the premier, but she is the environment minister. And I think you can make a pretty strong case that this is relevant to that portfolio. So we'll go there. Plus, we're going to read your emails. We got a ton of them yesterday. We don't have time to read all of them, but one in particular from Sarah. The subject line caught our attention. Rural landowners and solar. We put out the call on our episode yesterday from those of you living in rural areas. We said, do you buy the justification that's being cited by the United Conservatives that the reason why they're pressing pause on new wind and solar developments is concerns over agricultural land? Do you buy that it's because there's concerns over the landscape and the scenery about remediation? Some of you scoffing. It doesn't seem like the government of Alberta has taken remediation seriously in other contexts. I mean, how many shows have we done talking about orphan wells and other environmental liabilities? Why all of a sudden now the concern with wind turbines and solar farms we're going to get to Sarah's email, plus a pure fire from Janice. And I wanted to shout out Michael 
Uh, Michael, your email, uh, one of the best we've received over the last while, but we might hang on to it for Friday's edition of Trash Talk. It just has that kind of a vibe, if you know what I mean. We're always collecting your emails for that Friday tradition presented by Local Environmental Services. You can be in touch with the show anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Johnny, before we get to the environment minister, we rarely take an opportunity to read the bouquets, you know, the, 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 the emails, the quick messages oftentimes that you audience members like you, you know, take 30 seconds or a minute or two to, to send to us these notes of encouragement, these bucket filling messages. Mm-hmm. But we got a whole bunch of them yesterday and I wanted a to read a few just to, just to yeah. thank people, just to say thank you for knowing that this is resonating with you. Ryan sent us an email. Ryan says, I recently discovered your show on YouTube. Music to our ears, Ryan. He says, after craving something more informative about current events in Alberta without a right leaning political twist. Ryan says, I've come to appreciate Real Talk's perspective and the fact that you take people and organizations to task on important issues. He says, thanks for doing what you do. Ryan, thanks for finding us on YouTube and for subscribing. We sure appreciate that. And I love this one from Anna who wrote in after uh, Charles Adler and I spoke yesterday. And, and then, of course, we spoke to Binu Jakumar uh, from the Pembina Institute. Um, her interpretation of this moratorium on wind and solar. Uh, Anna writes in and says, thanks for a great talk on Tuesday morning. Uh, Anna says, work has been a huge barrier to me tuning in. And I have talked to my boss about that, Anna. Good to hear. Uh, let us know if you need a note or something like that. She says, it's become a real problem. She says, but seriously, I took off today to recoup from a crazy weekend in the mountains. Good call, Anna. She says, in real talk, you guys were my number one priority. I got up just so I could tune in and join the live feed chat community. Thanks for making Tuesday a great day. That from Anna. That's music to our ears. Thanks so much. And Johnny, I wanted to give a special shout out. I told my Uber driver, Ali, Mm -hmm. uh, he drops me off at the mechanic. He pulls in and then you know where that, you know, someone's about to say something to you. You can just tell he puts the car in park and then his posture kind of changes and he adjusts the rear view mirror. Mm -hmm. And I went, "Uh uh-oh, like, am I about to get one star on my Uber rating? I don't know what's going on here. He says, you're Jesperson, right? I go, yeah. He goes, man. He says, I stream Real Talk live on Mixler every day Amazing. while I'm driving for Uber. I said, you got to be kidding me, pal. That's awesome. I overreached actually a little bit. I put my hands on his shoulders and gave him a quick squeeze from the back seat. I said, that's great to hear, Ali. And I said, I'll be sure to let you, uh, you know, make sure that your name gets mentioned on today's show. So there you have it. Ali and the Uber, pal. Five stars. Big tip. And thanks so much for being a big fan of Real Talk. Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz in just a second. But this episode, we want to let you know, is presented by our friends at Danatech. If you're in a position making decisions for businesses, you're going to want to make sure that you check out Danatech.com. Danatech.com is where you can learn more about safety training that'll actually make a difference on your job site. Danatech, the leader in Canadian safety training for more than 30 years. Their online blended and instructor-led training courses combine regulatory compliance with real-world smarts and practical tips from experts who actually know what they're talking about. They actually know how busy job sites work. You can visit danatech.com to check out their course catalog and then get started on training your team the right way today. That's danatech.com. 
Joined today by Alberta's uh, Minister of Environment and Protected Areas, uh, the Honorable Rebecca Schultz, who I suppose is probably three, three and a half weeks uh, into that mandate letter she received from the Premier of Alberta. This is the first time we've talked to you, Minister, since you were seeking the leadership of the party. Feels like it's been a while. Thanks for making time for us today. It has. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a this is a, a pretty fulsome mandate letter you see from the premier. I think it was like thirteen different points. Uh, a, a lot of them have to do, obviously, with what people would associate with the environmental portfolio. But then there's that one call to action, which is a familiar one for anybody that that pays attention that pays attention to Alberta politics, and that's to stand up for Alberta when it comes to federal overreach. That's kind of a common theme, it seems, among the ministries, and it seemed to be a theme of your public comments yesterday after hearing from the feds why don't we get into this yeah i mean you know that was one of the top things i heard door knocking throughout the campaign traveling across alberta there is a very real frustration with federal overreach in areas of provincial jurisdiction and so you would see that in a number of my colleagues mandate letters but when it comes to environment i mean this means uh protecting our high environmental standards but also making sure that our industries can continue to thrive and flourish Uh, You know, when it comes to the federal government, they have a record of choosing ideology over common sense every time. Uh, Three main pieces of legislation uh, from the federal government that we have been opposing and and working on is uh, the net zero electricity grid, which I I know you're going to want to talk about today by 2035. It's something that's just not feasible. It's not feasible for Alberta. Uh, I think there's three or four other provinces with Manitoba coming out yesterday saying the same thing. Federal government has been promising dollars in infrastructure to get us there for years already. And so, you know, their announcement yesterday, $40 billion when the cost of this, I mean, we have, and, it, and it's independent numbers, it's it's not my numbers, $1.7 trillion in cost to transition to a net zero electricity grid by 2035. I mean, taxpayers are going to pay for that. They're going to pay for it on their bills. They're going to pay for it through their taxes. And the federal government had no data to share with me when we met with Minister Gipo on that front. We also have um, a proposed oil and gas cap, which would cap production at a time when uh, the world use and development of oil and gas is at an all-time high. We still need uh, Alberta oil and gas. I want to see that industry flourish. I I know that getting our natural gas to market will help reduce worldwide emissions. This is a great story. We have an opportunity to lead not only in Alberta, but around the world in technology that's happening. CCUS, we're already uh, a leader in that area. Um, we have a very real opportunity, and that was really Uh, my conversation with my federal counterparts. And then lastly, the plastics ban. You know, I've been talking a lot lately the last couple of weeks. Uh, I don't know if you've heard up in Edmonton, but Calgary Co-op really partnered with this amazing entrepreneur, Leaf Environmental Products. Uh, His name is Jerry. He cares so much about the environment that he thought, you know, I am going to solve this problem. He left his job as, I believe it was an auditor. And he said, give me a sign to leave this job and become an entrepreneur. He gets a call from Calgary Co-op. Please help us. He designed a completely compostable bag. It is not plastic. It has the benefit of not being plastic, reducing plastic bags, but also um, encouraging composting, right? Because uh, it's a compostable bag. People are more likely to use uh, the compost if it's clean and in a bag under their sink. You know how this goes. That is banned by ECCC and the federal government's plastic legislation. So when I was uh, at the environment minister's meeting out in Ontario just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we took 
uh, a bag for everybody that was at the table, as well as a link to uh, some media stories around um, that plastics ban and how it's having the exact opposite impact on recycling. And we were not the only province to raise that. This is a huge issue across the country. So we know that we need to reduce emissions. We have an emissions reduction and energy development plan. Uh, we need to protect our environment. Alberta is a beautiful place. I think it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Um, but we also have to stand up for our province, our industries, and quite frankly, Albertans. Yeah, it's it's safe to say that not everybody agrees that Alberta can't get its grid to net zero by 2035. The federal minister certainly thinks so. He told us that on July 19th. We, we talked to Binyu Jackamar from uh, Pemina Institute yesterday. She, she says that history could repeat itself. She says when, when the Stephen Harper federal government but back in 2012 talked about phasing out coal, she says Alberta, uh, by way of the free market, market by way of the innovation and the industry that you talk about and celebrate same as us says they stepped up to the plate and made it happen they're they're confident they're bullish that alberta can make it happen people are paying attention to this moratorium announced last thursday on new wind and solar projects and if there's one recurring comment i've seen from the public on social media it's that well alberta's not even trying are you concerned about the message that this sends not just to other levels of government not just to investors but to the public you know, here's what I would say. I think uh, some people are conflating those two issues. This six month pause is about making sure that we have an electricity grid that remains affordable, that it remains stable and reliable for Albertans. I, I don't believe that Albertans want to see massive, drastic increases to their power bills. And, you know, they, they certainly don't want to see rolling uh, brownouts like we've seen in other jurisdictions around North America. They want to see a sustainable power grid that remains affordable. And we also have to address those issues around liability, reclamation, uh, and what happens next. So if we, you know, we just can't allow a situation, I'll, I'll say it this way, we can't allow a situation where we don't have a sustainable mix of power generation. Now, Alberta has led the country. We are open for business. We are a province of innovators and entrepreneurs. 75% of Canada's renewable investment last year was in Alberta. Um, I mean, that's a positive thing. This is not an either or conversation. Uh, we still, though, need natural gas base load to power our grid to make sure that we have the sustainability that Albertans are looking for. Um, and, and so I think that's the concern with the federal government is, you know, they've done no research. I asked for data. I asked for costing. I asked for socioeconomic impacts. Um, they didn't have any of that to share. We we hope that they'll share it at, in our bilateral discussions. But then seeing news stories like yesterday saying, well, you know, if, if you don't sign on to net zero by 2035, uh, provinces may not be available or may not be able to apply for those tax credits. Uh, that's five provinces so far that have independent analysis. It's not just the government saying we can't get there, um, but also the cost. I mean, $1.7 trillion, Ryan, that is a huge cost. And so we have to manage that affordability piece for Albertans. Yeah, I, I think when we talk about affordability, you noted it yourself. You know that Albertans are, are paying uh, way higher utility costs. I, I've seen in some circumstances people claiming they're 400% than what they were a couple of years ago. And members of the public are being told to brace for what uh, experts are saying could be even higher energy costs to come. We know that wind and solar uh, that availability to the grid would drive those costs down. And some of the critics of this moratorium are suggesting that this 
is essentially just the government protecting natural gas, protecting government royalties, protecting these traditional oil and gas operators. Uh, it's a new day and age, Minister. So we've, we've got people in our live chat that are they're throwing uh, contributions, financial contributions at us to put questions, post questions in the chat. I've never done this before on a talk show, but Ken right now for five bucks uh, wants me to ask you about the Alberta Utilities Commission. He says, you know, he says, I'm looking at this, this, you know, moratorium rationale. And he says, I'd be curious to know Minister Schultz's response to why reliability was added to that moratorium rationale. He says, neither the Alberta Utilities Commission or the Alberta Electric System operator mentioned that. He says, government added that. What would you say to people that are saying this, this is just the government of Alberta trying to protect natural gas, nothing more? You know what? Not at all. Like, I, I would say this, we still need uh, that natural gas baseload. We we absolutely do. Um, but, you know, like I said, we're, we're open for business. We have a unique uh, power market here in Alberta. Uh, but let's also keep in mind that this is a new industry. And so the AUC, the Alberta Utilities Commission did write to Minister Newdorf requesting a pause. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to get this right. This work to set up uh, a framework for making sure that we do have reliability, affordability, uh, but also that we're addressing uh, liability, reclamation, and some of the concerns that we heard from rural Alberta. Uh, that needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed either now or six months from now, but it has to be addressed. So this is a great time for us to take a short six-month pause to do the work that's necessary. And look, we committed to doing this work last year uh, at RMA. I was the Minister of Municipal Affairs. This was the top issue that we heard from rural Alberta. We need to have some parameters in place. Um, we're going to do this work quick, quickly. There's obviously a number of ministries that this work uh, touches, but look, it, it's not an either or. And I think people like to polarize uh, these issues for a variety of reasons. Uh, we need to make sure that we're getting this right for Albertans. Yeah, respectfully, I can't let your government colleagues off the hook for polarizing the issue either, but that's how politics work. People understand it. Uh, it's been a while since an Alberta environment minister has talked about reclamation. Now, this is in the context, obviously, of, of supposed landowner concerns around the future of wind turbines and solar farms and what happens to busted up panels. And I think that the average person understands that. I'm not sure that everybody buys that rationale, but if reclamation truly is a concern of yours and i'll take your word on that does that mean we can expect to see more serious action on oil and gas reclamation this orphan wells issue is something that everybody's learning a little bit more about and i think most people are shocked when they realize the magnitude of that problem you know this is something that our government has been working to address my uh former colleague minister savage worked on the alberta liability management framework and and introduced updates to that um, obviously, this is something that we're taking very seriously. If you look at my mandate letter uh, on another issue, somewhat related, is the issue of, of tailings pond reclamation. That was the first bullet uh, in my mandate letter. And so, you know, I, I would just say we can't really compare these two uh, areas. One is very different, obviously. Our oil and gas industry has been operating for decades here. And so the issues that we're facing in oil and gas are different than what we're facing right now when it comes to renewables. This is our opportunity to get it right uh, when it comes to renewables, address the concerns that have been raised, make sure, again, that we're looking at 
affordability, reliability, liability, reclamation, uh, protecting uh, agricultural land and addressing some of the concerns that have been raised. So um, we can do that. We can do that quickly. I, I know six, seven months is a very short timeline, but my colleagues are, are dedicated to taking on this work. Yet we're also, uh, of course, still focused on uh, reclamation in the energy industry as well. Not It's not the shortest timeline, right? I mean, seven months pressing pause on an industry like you said. I mean, Ben, you yesterday from Pemina pointing out, as you reiterated as well, and I think this is something that Alberta should celebrate and should celebrate more. I mean, essentially owning the renewables market in Canada when it wants to. Alberta has proven that it can still be and will still be Canada's energy capital, but pressing pause on new development for seven months is a really big deal, and I think a lot of people are concerned about the message that that sends to to investors. I mean, I have to imagine that that's on the radar of a conservative government. You know, I would say if you want to talk about uncertainty, I mean, some of the federal government legislation and, and for example, uh, an emissions cap on oil and gas that would limit uh, natural gas development, that would be a problem for our electricity uh, grid as well. And so that also plays into some of these reliability issues. And so uh, we really do see this as an opportunity to get this right so that we can, in fact, uh, have confidence in the system, in the grid, in the reliability and affordability issues uh, and have a plan for reclamation. I actually think that that's good for investor certainty in the long term. Uh, we're seeing a photo right now of, a, of you at a recent announcement. Uh, the government of Alberta committing about $45 million. It's like on a competition basis. People can uh, Google the reporting on that for the details to kickstart or you know essentially fast forward hydrogen uh, innovation in the province of Alberta. It's interesting. I'm fascinated by the technology and the potential of it. I mean, these hydrogen locomotives that everybody's talking about, pretty cool. Uh, but there also seems to be a healthy dose of cynicism here. Every time we talk about hydrogen on the show, we get emails from people essentially saying it's it's BS. How bought into hydrogen tech are you and is this government? You know, uh, again, I, I don't think it's just, a, you know, there's one silver bullet of an answer when it comes to our energy future. But Alberta, again, is a leader in hydrogen, and this is exciting. We're here to support that innovation. Uh, again, we're known for our entrepreneurial spirit, and that, that announcement absolutely was right in front of a hydrogen locomotive. I think it was pretty fitting, uh, given that, you know, uh, CP has been operating here in Canada uh, for, I guess, over 100 years or around 100 years. And yet, you know, we're still seeing that type of innovation. I think this is exciting. Uh, we do work with Emissions Reduction Alberta. The funding for these competitions uh, comes out of our tier fund, Technology, Innovation and Emissions Reduction. And it enables some of that research. So there's the early stage projects, the later stage projects. Uh, these dollars really help to spur that technology on. Of course, it's new. There's a lot of work to be done, but definitely um, something that, especially in the Edmonton area, there's a lot of work being done around the hydrogen hub. And uh, I, I think any time that Alberta is a leader in the energy space, that's, that's a good thing. I mean, this is industry stepping up and being creative and innovative. And we're here to support that. Yeah, I know that uh, Minister Natchew in particular in Sturgeon County is particularly bullish on hydrogen tech. I've got an email mm -hmm. here from Cheryl, uh, wants me to ask you about water. Um, and, and she says, I'm, I'm curious to know when uh, we're going to stop pouring our most valuable resource into holes for fracking. Uh, she says our, our southern farmers in particular are going to desperately need this water to feed their animals, to grow their crops in the not too distant future. Uh, maybe those landowners that are now 
leasing their land for renewables see the writing on the wall they're cashing in while they can that from cheryl if i can tack on to that other concerns about water probably the most public conversation in alberta relating to water has been coal mining uh on the eastern slopes it's what brought out almost every country singer in the province a couple of years ago and became a very real political issue and a problem uh, for the previous premier jason kenny what's your plan what's your approach to protecting alberta's water yeah, and water is is such a complicated issue at, just in terms of, of how that's managed. We want to make sure uh, that we are protecting, obviously, the integrity of the water systems here and making sure that we do have enough water uh, to both support communities, irrigation, uh, and all types of projects uh, within industry, as well as uh, our obligations for water flow, whether that be to other provinces, to the U.S. Uh, and others. So um, that's something that our ministry manages very closely. When it comes to coal, of course, I know our eastern slopes are treasured by Albertans. Our government uh, undertook the coal policy review. Uh, we did ex extend and expand uh, those restrictions on coal exploration development in the eastern slopes. Um, but any further movement on that would have to happen through uh, land use planning. Is it fair to say, Minister, that, that your colleagues I and mean, those sitting around the cabinet table were maybe taken a bit aback at the public blowback from this announcement on Thursday? I'm curious to know that the premier kind of rolled out on a radio show on, on Saturday, a, a different feeling uh, justification, a completely different themed justification for that moratorium. Is it fair to say the government was maybe surprised a little bit? You know, this is an issue that we've been talking about. Like I said, when I was in municipal affairs, the Minister of Municipal Affairs, this was the number one topic when we were uh, in our government uh, bear pit sessions or accountability sessions. Uh, this was one of the top issues raised by municipal leaders across our province. And at that time, this was earlier in the spring, we made a commitment to review this. We articulated that this would require a number of ministries working together. We knew that there were concerns uh, around uh, sustainability of our grid, reliability, affordability. Yes, uh, the liability reclamation issues. Uh, and so we made a very public commitment at that time. Uh, that we would address it and we heard that message from a number of my colleagues so i don't know that it was uh, a surprise it was certainly something on my radar that i knew that we would have to address uh like i said you know this this six-month pause is i think an opportunity for us to get this right um before we run out of time with you, I just want to ask about this, the status of, of that proposed R-STAR program. The, the Premier had, had talked about it kind of through the leadership run, and then it seemed to disappear uh, through the course of the election campaign. But I know a lot of Albertans are still curious to know if that's something that's on the table, uh, and if so, how serious the government's taking it. And, and, and I thought that maybe you could let us know to this minute uh, where we're at with R-STAR. You know, I haven't heard anything about one specific program or this specific pro program in a number of months. I, I do know, that obviously, that we're working very closely with the Minister of Energy uh, when it comes to liability and reclamation issues and, and with this situation that we're seeing with uh, abandonment and orphan wells. Uh, but I don't have uh, any updates on any specific program at this time. Uh, the Minister of Energy uh, may be the person that you want to ask about that. But 
you know, uh, I think too, there was a lot of misinformation around that program, uh, for sure, certainly from the opposition. Um, but you know what, we, we are working on those issues. And I think the positive thing, uh, and what I've really appreciated about Premier Smith's leadership is our priorities are are very transparently uh, shared with the people of Alberta. And so when Albertans are wondering what different uh, ministers are focused on, uh, what the government is is seeing as our top priorities. I mean, that's all out there when it comes to our mandate letters. So we want to continue uh, to see a, I would say, a diverse, growing economy. Uh, and, you know, we have seen that. Our economy is more diverse than ever before. And Premier has been very clear. These are not either-or conversations. This is an and. This is an all-of-the-above we can absolutely still be world leaders in oil and gas. We want to see uh, that industry continue uh, to essentially thrive and grow uh, for generations to come. We also can continue to be leaders in investment in renewables and new technologies like hydrogen. And so we're proud, I think, of our record of, of being leaders in, in energy I think this is an exciting time for sure for me to be uh, in this role as the Minister of Environment. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, one thing I'd want to leave your listeners with and all Albertans is that we are focused on the top of mind issues for Albertans. Affordability is one of those issues, but we are also committed to common sense policy. Um, and unfortunately, you know, when it comes to our relationship with the federal government, I think that that's one of the issues is they've just been choosing ideology over practicality and common sense every time. And, you know, certainly I think we see our, our the NDP opposition here um, often just supporting what the federal government puts forward, but that's not necessarily in the best interests of Albertans. So we have to stand up uh, for Albertans, but of course still work to protect our environment and protect jobs. Quick follow-up, Minister, even if it's 10 seconds. Where do you think there was misinformation from the opposition on the R-Star proposal? You know, I think they shared, they have a, a pattern of sharing numbers that are not real. I mean, we saw it over the last four years. Um, their, their approach is typically uh, to be divisive and over the top and share misinformation, incorrect numbers. Uh, look, we are looking at these issues. We're working on it with uh, the Minister of Energy. Um, but, you know, the information largely being shared by the NDP on, on this program was uh, completely off base. Rebecca Schultz is Alberta's Minister of Environment and Protected Areas. We appreciate you making yourself available for this today. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, thank you. You got it. Real Talkers, you can let us know what you thought about that conversation by sending us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Our uh, live chat is absolutely smoking right now, and I suspect that the conversation uh, invoking our hashtag RealTalkRJ will be the same uh, when these clips go out later in the day. Also wanted to let you know that tomorrow on Thursday's episode of Real Talk, we'll be hearing from the NDP energy critic, Najwan Aljunaid, uh, out of Calgary at MLA there. And we'll also talk to energy economist Andrew leech uh, i'm sure that they'll have uh you know moments in this conversation that they'll want to dig into tomorrow our mandate is to ensure that you feel fully informed or as informed as possible to have a take to have an opinion on what you're seeing develop in the news is this a prudent move by the government of alberta is it a move that nails industries feet to the floor where do you stand on it 
Real talkers like Sarah and Janice have taken us up on our invitation to share their thoughts, and we're going to get to their emails in just a second. Plus, we're going to go back the tail of the tape. Uh, I want to bring you a, a moment. Uh, Alberta's uh, premier, her senior advisor, the executive director of her office, Rob Anderson, a former MLA for the Wild Rose Party and the PCs, as you likely know, was on the record sharing his opinion on wind and solar. This is while Jason Kenney was still premier. And, well, his objections sound pretty familiar. We're going to go to that. And then, of course, we'll get to your take on this as well. These conversations happen because we've got Real Talk sponsors like our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. Just makes sense to talk about them right now, doesn't it? This is Western Canada's busiest solar installer, and they're hiring right now. Kubi's wondering if, if you or someone you know is looking for a career change. They're looking for electricians and apprentices in Lethbridge, in Calgary, in Edmonton, and in Kamloops, BC. They're also looking for project coordinators and customer service reps and, and solar sales reps. If you're intrigued by an opportunity to work with a dynamic and innovative company that's absolutely revolutionizing the renewable energy industry in Canada, if you'd like to work alongside dedicated professionals that are passionate about what they do, make sure you check out kubienergy.ca. They've got a careers link there where you can learn more about some of the perks, the benefits, aside from the ones we've mentioned of working with Kubi, including their investment in your education and your career growth, opportunities to relocate if that is intriguing to you. Plus, you know, as we love to point out, Friday ball hockey tournaments and cold beer on tap. It all comes with working at Kubi Renewable Energy. Across 16 different Alberta communities, you will find Friesen Brothers, Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned for more than 65 years. And right now, we're sounding the alarm. There's a seasonal twist to the latest masterpiece from Friesen Brothers Mother Dough Bread Company Bakers. They are handcrafted peach pies, Johnny. Peach pies. Some of my favorite summer memories involve peach pies, maybe a little bit of vanilla bean ice cream. I mean, that's pure perfection. They're baked fresh daily using 100% real peaches, 100% Alberta flour. They're the ultimate treat to savor as summer winds down. You can find more information at Friesen.com slash pies. I'm a rhubarb guy myself. Oh, rhubarb pie. They got the great rhubarb pie there. Incredible. And I like how you can get the half or the whole. Yeah. You don't have to go all in. You can, I'm just going to have the half pie. How many people do <laughs> you think are buying the half a pie? I do it. Yeah, do you I really? Do I do it. Uh, yeah. I re- hey, well, man, it's only me and my partner, I right? I respect so yourself. Four slices is enough. Well, I've, always, yeah. I've always thought, you really cut a half into four. This is some serious <laughs> self-control from the Hicks. This is good on you, buddy. I can't even. I'm a full pie kind of a guy. You know, just <laughs> make sure everybody gets a piece and there's a little leftover for dad at the end. You know what I'm saying? This studio was built by the team at Complete Care Restoration. Uh, they are, as we often point out, literally our only Real Talk sponsor that hopes to never hear from you. It's nothing personal, but they're in the business of, you know, getting people back on their feet after fire and flood, after people have discovered mold or asbestos in their business, or perhaps even worse, in their residence, right? They're experts in construction and renovation. If you do find yourself in that gut punch scenario, 
maybe you're one of those Alberta community members that's been dealing with a post-wildfire reality. Maybe it was those midsummer rains that flooded that basement. Those cracks in the foundation are again causing problems for you. Make Complete Care Restoration your first call at 780-454-0776. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. Call them with the confidence that comes from our personal endorsement. We've worked with them. We've seen them operate from start to finish, and we are 100% satisfied. We're not saying that because we're partnering with them. We're partnering with them because we see how they work. And as we're talking about emissions, in good faith, we acknowledge, as does the team at Pathways Alliance, that Alberta's oil and gas industry, in particular the oil sands, contribute significant carbon emissions in Canada. And that's why six of the largest companies are working together and with governments to take strides on the path to net zero from their operations. Part of that plan involves developing a proposed carbon capture and storage network by 2030. It's going to be one of the world's largest. You can learn more today by visiting pathwaysalliance.ca. Half pie or the whole pie? Nobody buys a half pie. To I don't even believe. I gotta believe. I gotta see it to believe it. To pie or not to pie? To pie. The, the answer is always to pie. <laughs> to pie. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I want to reference a, a letter. This was sent on July 21st of this year from the uh, chair of the Alberta Utilities Commission. This is Carolyn Dal Reese. Uh, who wrote the Honorable Nathan Newdorf. He's the Minister of Affordability and Utilities. Uh, Minister Newdorf is the one who delivered the news on Thursday of this you know, nearly seven-month moratorium on oil and gas. Uh, says the chair of the AUC, uh, we're currently processing a historically high volume of new renewable wind and solar and thermal power plant applications. Because of the geographically dispersed nature of new-gen development, two important issues have come to the forefront of the commission's public interest considerations. One, the development of power plants on high value agricultural lands. And two, the lack of mandatory reclamation security requirements for power plants. They go on to say that these are broad policy issues. They say that timely effective resolution is essential to the ongoing economic, orderly, and efficient development of new power generation in Alberta. And the letter goes on from there. So about two weeks later, you get the announcement from Minister Newdorf. Uh, industry, some pretty prominent voices in the renewable space are saying the government didn't consult with them at all. And if you've been paying attention to reporting on this, the minister doesn't deny that. He says we wanted to, but the schedules just didn't work out. I mean, there's a lot of politicking happening here right now, and I wouldn't blame you for being cynical on this. We know that this is a deep and critically thinking audience. There is a theme, right? There's a theme here, and I want to go back, as we said, to a tale of the tape, okay? This is an interview with, uh, okay, so, you know, the United Conservatives have, have been pushing out their own media, and they were doing so, like a lot of political parties do, uh, through the course of, of, Jason Kenney's tenure, and in particular uh, through the election campaign. And uh, that was hosted by a former uh, global television host uh, who has also served as an MLA, okay? So he's got the broadcast chops, and he's also got the politics chops. And so Bruce is talking uh, to, uh, this is uh, Rob Anderson, who was a former MLA for the Wild Rose Party and the PCs. He, he crossed the floor, and, and he's got his own political career, the former MLA out of Airdrie. He's now Daniel 
Al Smith's chief advisor. He's the executive director of the premier's office. Kind of there was a three headed monster there in the premier's office. And, and Rob Anderson was the one that's obviously calling the shots and impacting policy on a lot of this. So this is from a while ago. OK, this was before Danielle Smith was premier, but she was on this call. And Rob Anderson, who's now her executive director, is talking about his take on wind and solar. I wanted to play this clip in its entirety. It's about a minute long and you'll hear in it him describing wind and solar as a scam. But I also want you to pay close attention to some recurring themes that people are talking about right now, because I think I'm pretty certain it's going to shed some light onto who's calling the shots, why this policy is being developed, and perhaps maybe where this story is about to go. Here it is. These things are just butt ugly, okay? Like, let's just call it a spade a spade. We have one of the most beautiful, pristine landscapes in the world here, especially on the, uh, on the, on the eastern slopes. I do not want, and I'm, I'm sure the residents I know in talking with several of them over the last week, because I knew we were talking about this issue, they are absolutely horrified by this. It, it, mm -hmm. It's destroying their entire uh, viewscape and landscape. They're ugly. And they don't, you can't just at the end of life here, you don't just tear them down and put throw them in the recycle bin at the curb. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. We're sitting okay. on, on an ocean of yep. natural gas. And all this is, is it's a scam. It's a way that a, a German company has found to come in here and, and, and use the, the carbon credit process and, and the, the funding that's made available to them from government and so forth directly and indirectly to make a buck. This isn't about the environment. It has nothing to do with the environment. If they did, they could make, you know, uh, they, they can make a far bigger difference by investing in LNG and getting it over to Asia if they wanted to actually work on C reducing CO2 levels. Um, loud, just, loud and clear. I hear you. Man. It is just brutal. And there's there, there's we should show leadership here. And Kenny should be all over this. Like, mm -hmm. I hate I hate to cut you off, Rob. These it's, lights on our landscape there, especially when you're that passionate on it on an answer. I hate. To <laughs> OK, so there you have it. that's Bruce McAllister, uh, formerly the host of Global News Morning out of Calgary, who's also served as, as a conservative MLA at that time. Rob Anderson speaking uh, as uh, on behalf of his role with the Free Alberta Strategy. Danielle Smith was on that call. Uh, you remember as president of the Alberta Enterprise Group of AEG, which is where she went after resigning from her talk radio job down in Calgary. So that's the context. But there he is. Right. This is this is uh, when Jason Kenney's still the premier of Alberta, Rob Anderson talking about these wind turbines, saying they're a blight on the landscape. They're an eyesore. The whole thing is a scam. So when you're looking for the source of potentially where this momentum is maybe coming from, it's pretty tough to ignore that video right there a while ago, but not too long ago to be forgotten. We got an email from Sarah yesterday, uh, the subject line, Rural Landowners and Solar. She says, uh, Jesperson, I heard Tuesday's episode. I wanted to give you some input, as you asked for, from rural Alberta. Sarah says, I was born and raised in the Brooks, Alberta area. Shout out to Brooks, Lake Newell, awesome place to hang out in the summer, right, Sarah? You don't need me to tell you that. Uh, she says, uh, in 2016, uh, the first large solar project in Alberta was constructed there just north of Highway 1. Uh, and I worked personally with a lot of landowners at the time some of them initially worried about farmland uh, being replaced for solar 
but what everybody fails to realize and what the current government is neglecting to mention is when they talk about farmland, not all land is productive. In that area in particular, most land is irrigated. And because it gets very minimal rainfall, dry land farming just isn't sustainable. Uh, irrigable acres, those with water rights uh, through the Eastern Irrigation District are way, she says, way more valuable than dryland acres. Nobody dryland farms there. They might graze cattle, but it's certainly not cropland. So back to the solar project, the land that that solar farm was built on, most of it was alkali soil, not good cropland with no irrigable acres attached to it. The land wasn't cropped, and because of the alkali, it was poor grazing as well. So it turned unproductive land into productive land. None of the solar companies were paying anywhere near per acre what you could make off good farmland, and farmers are smart. They know where the money is. I'll hit pause on Sarah's email for a quick second to point out exactly the same message delivered by Charles Adler yesterday. Remember, he talked about that in his conversation with us. He says Mm -hmm. he's been talking to and hearing from rural Albertans and especially those in the ag industry for many, many years through his uh, career in talk radio. He says the one thing he knows they despise the most is being portrayed as hillbillies from the 1800s, wearing, mm-hmm. I think he said yesterday, wearing their straw hats. Of course. I mean, I can tell you personally, I don't want to get too far out of cropland and talking about southern Alberta, but many of my relatives who still dairy farm, in particular here in northern Alberta, are some of the most savvy entrepreneurs that you've ever met. The farms operate with tech that would blow your mind. Back to Sarah's email, she says, and these landowners, they were chomping at the bit uh, to find unproductive land that they could lease to solar operators. They're smart, like I said, and they wanted to make money on all their land. And it was landowners with no solar potential who tried to stall approvals and permits through the county. So the next time somebody says that you're turning good farmland to solar, ask them about the quality of the land. Might seem obvious, but not to everybody, including me. She says, go a little further north of Brooks into that special area's land. It's super sunny, but there's no water. And the only use that that land is ever put to is grazing, and it's full of alkali. That's why it's special areas and crown land. It's why it's not owned by landowners. It's never been homesteaded. It has very little value other than being covered in oil wells. It would make amazing land for solar farms without taking any cropland away. And she says, one final note, my next door neighbor was an electrician. His family kept their business, their house, and their livelihood alive because of that solar project. When oil tanked in 2015, 2016, his company lost all its contracts. And working on building that solar farm saved not only them, but the 15 people that they employed. Sarah says, this moratorium is garbage and it's only going to hurt Alberta. Thanks for giving me a chance to provide another perspective. Well, Sarah, thank you. You can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's what Janice did as well. She says, bravo to Real Talk. Bravo to Charles Adler. Tuesday's show was brilliant. She says, in my opinion, this moratorium on oil and gas is a panic button move. She says, and it's now leaving the provincial government in a real bind. She says, at the very worst for the premier, I think it could cost her her job. But the focus now, says Janice, needs to be on citizens and consumers. She says all of us are being driven into the poorhouse. 
She says, I'm sure, Ryan, that the minister will spin a version of leveling the playing field for the energy sector. But right now, that sector is renewables and non-renewables. She says, and with renewables leading the pack as a superior product environmentally and economically, with the most important point being economically, people need to realize it is cheaper for us, the consumers, full stop. She says, now the impact to the government here may be obvious or not. The wealth is being redistributed. Royalty revenues could disappear. Crude oil sales revenues could decline and ultimately disappear. And taxes and rentals are now being delivered to municipalities directly and to the landowners. That was fascinating to hear yesterday about uh, Vulcan County. 45% of its municipal revenue is collected by renewables. I had no idea. I don't think anyone knows that. No. And and when she said it, my jaw dropped. Almost half of municipal revenues in Vulcan, Alberta. I did a little bit of digging because aside from, and this is no offense to Vulcan whatsoever, shout out to Vulcan, but most people, when they think of Vulcan, Alberta, they think of like the Star Trek monument there. They think of (laughs) people on road trips (laughs) stopping to take their like Dr. Spock photo and and, and everything in Vulcan, Alberta. But I wanted to, to, to scale up my understanding of what has driven the economy in that community for the mm-hmm. last hundred years or so. It's been huge with ag, uh, and there's a lot of oil and gas activity around there, and a mm-hmm. lot of the residents of Vulcan work in oil and gas. Mm-hmm. So you may call it traditional economies when it comes to Alberta, and economies that we've celebrated, economies that have, that have created prosperity in Alberta, that, that have created that for many decades. So you have a traditional oil and gas and ag community that is benefiting in a huge way from renewable right now back to janice's message she says so due to renewables only needing surface rights not mineral rights like oil and gas you know municipalities and landowners are now 100 percent the stewards and all control is being removed from the province you know why are renewables not on crown land it's simple because the province won't grant permission well it seems to be backfiring you know municipalities landowners are clawing at the revenues to have renewables creating a bit of a wild west greedy type scenario she says, but you can't blame those rural communities, you know, folks that are born and raised on oil and gas sensing new opportunity right now. She says, with the reality on the doorstep, the province and landowners are scrambling to sign on the dotted line to get renewables onto their properties. Municipalities doing the same thing. And she says, and I do believe, uh, and I'll use Janice's words, earmuffs kids. She said, I think this is a real bitch move by the province that's backfired severely. Uh, she says, and once that's lifted, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. Maybe open access to crown land only, or maybe to kill this momentum with regulation to put in sort of a leveling the industry playing field type situation with royalties and taxes, maybe making it more difficult for business to provide a cheaper product. She says, I'm not convinced that government wants us, Albertans, to have lower utilities. She says, consumers are paying for energy and the massive profits that governments and oil companies reap. Mm -hmm. The solution is to adopt a clean energy grid, and then, she says, will make way for government imposing a sales tax. I like that she wraps up with that, which gives us an entire other thing to talk about. So shout out to Janice and Sarah for sharing their thoughts. Some of you may believe that it's bang on, that those two have thrown bullseyes. Some of you may think that they and, and me and some of the commenters in our live chat are out to lunch. 
We want to hear from you too. This isn't a pulpit type scenario where we're going to get up here and hammer home one single point and tell you the right way to think on an issue. We want to hear from different voices. We want you to understand and then be able to answer objections. We want you to know why your utility prices are so high. We want you to know why other provinces like Saskatchewan and Manitoba and Ontario are investing in renewables while Alberta is pressing pause. As a matter of fact, why don't we tee that video up? This is Binyu Jackamar, uh, director of the electricity program at the Pamina Institute. So impressed with what she brought to the table yesterday on Real Talk. If you missed that, uh, that is the August 8th episode of the show, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts and, of course, on YouTube as well. She talks about how Alberta in a way, is on a bit of an island with the policy rolled out last week. Here's what she had to say. BC, Yukon, Saskatchewan, and, and, and then on from there. Um, how does Alberta's decision here stack up to or compare what they're doing nearby? Yeah, um, it's a step in the other direction. Uh, it's really fascinating. Exactly. Uh, all the way from BC to Atlantic Canada, um, provinces are procuring more renewable energy and it doesn't matter the ideology of the government in place. So even if you look at conservative governments in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, they all are investing in renewable energy. So this tells you this goes beyond party colors. Ontario actually recently issued the largest procurement for storage in Canada's history. Um, so yeah, so that's why it's a bit mind boggling that Alberta would go in the different direction. Yeah. And what it tells me when I see conservative provinces investing in this too, it, it tells me that this is an economic case, right? Like they're doing it for jobs, they're doing it for investments, uh, they're doing it to bring prices of electricity down. That was uh, Binyu Jackamar from the Pemina Institute on yesterday's episode. I wanted to acknowledge something. We got something kind of funny happening. This is a, a total coincidence, but uh, a shout out to those of you uh, who have reached out to the show uh, invoking the name of DK Gray. A lot of you saying if you want to bring somebody on the show that can, I, I, for the general public, speak in terms that we can understand about why electricity prices are where they are and why this is all happening, they say you got to get this guy on the show. Well, guess what? He's booked on the show anyway, but not for that reason he's been booked on the show for a while because he's actually got another great initiative called art for good uh you can check it out art and then the number four artforgood.ca where art meets heart and they create they produce these beautiful uh digital art pieces johnny they put them on to i'm not going to spend too much time talking about it now because he's coming on the show to talk about it mm -hmm. himself well um, we'll do two birds with one yeah, stone two birds with yeah. one stone so so we'll lead with the electricity talk and then we'll get into it and then we'll get into <laughs> so i uh, I'm super excited because he reached out to us, approached us, uh, wanting to help contribute, to find a way to contribute in a significant way to the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're going to be uh, rolling out. We're going to be introducing a beautiful, I saw it yesterday for the first time, uh, a piece of art that's that's uh, going to be made available to members of the public. You Amazing. Can, you, can, you can buy a, a print um, in support of that scholarship, awesome. which yeah, provides financial supports uh, for um, post-secondary students anywhere in the country that have lost a parent to cancer. Applications are closed for this year's edition of that. The applications uh, are in front of our Real Talk editorial board right now, and they'll be making a decision next week on who will receive that $5,000 financial support. And a big shout out to those of you that attended uh, the Real Talk Golf Classic as well back in June to help fund that scholarship. So DK Gray will be on the show next week, and awesome. we'll definitely talk to him about electricity. Here's a picture of that solar farm in uh, Vulcan. It looks great to oh, me. Oh, it's so this cool. Looks 
And I mean, I, I, it'd be interesting to get some farmers on because you're right. The, people are always painting farmers as, as being the people who are saying, you know, the landscape is changing. It looks horrible, but it seems more often than not, they're the ones signing on the dotted line. And I mean, this is what these solar farms and, and wind farms are looking like. Mm-hmm. They look a lot better to me than these dilapidated wrecks that just aren't being cleaned up aren't being taken down aren't being taken care of so it just kind of boggles my mind that you know and i'll say more often than not it's conservatives are are just painting these people who live in the rural areas as being pissed off seems to me like they're welcoming this yeah well i and and also i i I think one of our jobs is to refocus conversation and to remind people what matters and what doesn't Mm -hmm. and i don't think that we need to start getting into a debate and i'm i'm guilty of it too we talked about it a little bit yesterday but what looks better an oil rig or a pump jack or a, a wind turbine or like who cares? That's not the point. I and think it, it's I think it's a red herring. I mm-hmm. think it's a smoke screen. I think what people are concerned about is what does the future of energy look like? What are the environmental concerns we've got to pay attention to? Where does the economic opportunity lie? Where is the smartest place for Alberta to create a healthy investment opportunity? And how do we protect our environment for generations to come? And when we're talking about land that, you know, quote, dead land like this, what does it matter if it's a solar panel or an oil rig, it's going to look pretty much the same. I mean, so, this is this is barren land, right? Yeah. And, Unusable. And there's not going to be anything that doesn't come with trade-offs. I mean, people are quite right to point out, you know, people will say, you know, we, we, we see the objections with electric cars all the time. And people will say, what about these batteries? What about the, what about the mining and some of the trade-offs, you know, environmentally and, and quite frankly, socially? Even when you start talking about human rights, Uh, Some of the mining of those rare materials around the world comes with a bit of an ugly underbelly. That's a fact. Uh, That's why I don't think we need to be a disciple of a certain mentality where we automatically justify some things and automatically condemn others. Let's talk about the pros and cons. I mean, I feel like most of the wise people that I look to in my life Mm -hmm. have an exercise, whether it's an actual physical one or maybe it's just a more subtle mental one. But when you're making big decisions, what are the pros? What are the cons? And after you've considered both, then where does your decision land? Where it makes most sense, right? And lately, I love that we've been talking about energy for like the last two weeks because it is hitting home now. Like my electricity bill, if I have to be candid is probably the biggest it's ever been since I moved back to Kelowna, or to Alberta from Kelowna. I actually set mine on like a set rate now. So I'll just be candid. Like I pay like a little over 300 bucks a month, no matter what the bill of my gas and electricity is. And then at the end of the year, they either give me a credit or they say I owe a bit. But that that's what we're facing right now. That's the kind of things people are doing to just make it buy, right? With all these electricity prices, which are... I finally noticed. I looked at the bill. I'm like, man, it's been going up, 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 and now it's staying kind of at this wow. high. You yeah. know, I I feel like maybe I shouldn't talk about it. We don't want to manifest it happening. <laughs> but a lot of the experts are saying just wait, yeah. uh, which sucks to see because I know for a lot of families, I mean, the you know utility costs. This is the stuff that's not sexy. It's not like we said yesterday, taking your kids to ride the water slides. We know that a lot of you are making very real trade offs. Uh, I mean, geez, and I'm not making fun of this. Uh, you want to look at some of the, you know, the, the prime minister posting photos. You know, he he takes his son to the Barbie movie. He takes his daughter to see Oppenheimer. And, and you look at a lot of the criticism, aside from all the blatant homophobia and all that BS. But mm-hmm. but a lot of people are in the comments saying, must be nice to be able to take your family to the movies. 
and I get that, but for real, a lot of people right now, that is the reality. They've made changes to their summer Cutting plans. Costs, yeah. They're looking at the cost of living. It's been way up. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at people like me, uh, and I guarantee a lot of other people as well, if you have lines of credit or if you have a mortgage, uh, anything, any loan, uh, any financial obligation that's floating on a variable rate right now, the landscape is continuously changing. Uh, if you want, you can look back to our conversation with Stephanie Hughes just a couple of weeks ago uh, from Bloomberg. She's a finance reporter there. And we got into it. You know, Christian Freeland, the finance minister federally, talking about how it's great that inflation's back down to, you know, two and three quarter percent uh, in Canada right now. So we asked Stephanie the question, if inflation is back down to where the federal government can can stomach it, then why is the Bank of Canada continuing to raise the cost of borrowing to raise interest rates? And, And I encourage you to check out that interview if you are curious about that. All this talk about politics, Johnny. Why don't we take a second? Get out of here. Why don't we get out to the mountains for a second? Uh, it's Wednesday, which means that our friends at Tourism Jasper are giving us an excuse to head out to the mountains. It's a weekly tradition that we call My Jasper Memories. And if your family is looking for a way to get away, maybe within Jasper National Park, there is a brand new opportunity right now at one of the iconic locations in Jasper that you may have yet to discover. If you're looking to bring the entire family out to Jasper for a getaway that they will never forget, why not reserve an exquisite chalet on the banks of the Athabasca River? This is one of the most stunning locations for accommodations anywhere in Jasper National Park. Pine Bungalows is one of Jasper's most eco-friendly and long-standing cabin properties in the National Park. Ever since 1936, they're coming up on 90 years. These cozy abodes have provided guests with shelter that is both peacefully hidden away in nature, but close enough to town for errands and other fun stuff. Uh, Pine Bungalows has two newly built chalets. You can check out pinebungalows.com right now. By the way, I'm sharing my screen here for those of you watching on YouTube. Uh, Two newly built chalets that are now taking reservations for a September opening. You could be one of the first to check them out. With room for 10 people, these four-bedroom chalets have king beds, two bathrooms with in-floor heating. In-floor heating?! What? They've also got an open kitchen with built-in appliances and wood-burning fireplaces. This sounds to me like lifelong memories going to be made here. You can relax, you can laugh, you can dine on either the front or rear porch. Maybe your private fire pit is where you'll gather and share a few laughs. Maybe barbecue for your guests. Or, of course, you can hang out inside the living room. You can send them an email today to reservations at pinebungalows.com to get more information on rates and availability, but get this. And we're going to be tweeting about this today as well. Uh, Sorry, we're going to be posting on X, John, about this as Uh. well. They're offering a 40% discount, a 40% discount for September and October. Like we said, right on the banks of the Athabasca River. For more details, you can check out pinebungalows.com. They've got a restaurant on site there. And uh, it's I'm stuck in one of these positions where our job 
is to tell real talkers about the magic that awaits, the opportunity, the memories they can make at Jasper National Park. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of want to keep some of the secrets to myself. I was just thinking that looking at the cabin, I was like, that would be a great place if you were just all alone. Wouldn't it? Like, no neighbors, turn off the phone, don't email me for a week, oh. I am gone, humans beware. Yeah. We did a uh, we did a, a river rafting adventure a couple of summers ago on the Athabasca River. Mm-hmm. And it, it's chill enough that you can bring the kids. Uh, so Wyatt, our son, was, I think, five at the time, and he was just having an absolute blast. And, of course, a good raft guide. Uh, they pick their key moments to, like, splash the kids yeah. and, like, dunk the nose of the raft in a little bit. And we're just having so much fun. And then we're floating past. And I had never seen the pine bungalows from that perspective, yeah. like, from the river passing through it. And uh, the guide says to us, he goes, oh, yeah, he says, we had this like almost spiritual moment just the other day, uh, a sow grizzly and two cubs on the banks of the Athabasca just down from the pine bungalows. And you just get this sense of like how close you can get to nature Mm -hmm. while at the same time having the resources in place that you need and the necessary advice and all that kind of stuff for visitors that are maybe unfamiliar with wildlife encounters like that. And camping and stuff. I'm one of those guys who like I love nature. But camping is like a one, two day, I'm done. But if there's camping or nature and a bathroom and like, (laughs) you know, a start and end to the day and then a nice bed like that cabin looks perfect for me. Uh, so, so a bathroom is, is a big one for you. Hey? I just, I can camp and I, ha- when I was younger, it was like, whatever, I'll do it all yeah. day long. Now I'm kind of like, oh, mosquitoes <laughs> different. Like if there's a place to go. At night and sleep and wake up in the morning, have breakfast, and then we go back outside. That that's all. I'm all in. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, the uh, the whole bathroom thing. It's it's so funny. I've I've got a friend who's invested. He's like got all. <laughs> We're the, gonna get into he's, the bathroom well, he's, he, No, he's got all the car camping stuff. So they've got the, they're just really neat things. Like you like can the glamping get, almost. Yeah, yeah, but it's you know you can get like a little shower that he connects yeah. to the roof rack of their mm-hmm. SUV, and then it, it's kind of like the solar tiny little modest solar panel on top, mm-hmm. almost like warms the water. So he'll come back from a day uh, fly. He's a big fly fisherman and. and come back and have kind of the equivalent of a nice warm shower standing yeah. beside his vehicle. He's got That's it all That's what I'm talking out. about. Oh, I love it. Um, we have an email from Deanna who, who wanted to, to follow up on our conversation about smoking and vaping. Uh-oh. Yeah, we were talking about this a few shows. No, it's a really great take, and, and I appreciate this, and, and I want to get to that in just a second. But first, I want to remind you, this show doesn't happen without the support of our sponsors like Local Environmental Services, and it is our job to remind you that coming up on Friday... Local Environmental Services provides a a chance for you to blow off a little steam, to say what you want the rest of Canada to hear, just like Michael has done with his email on renewables. Michael, we've received it. We're hanging on to it. You can send your trash talk to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Local Environmental Services is, is helping municipalities and businesses, both large and small, save money and get better service. Uh, when it comes to their locations in Edmonton and area, Whitecourt and area, Regina and area, and of course, that footprint is always growing. If you're looking for fence rentals, maybe water hauling, landfill services, maybe you need a bin temporarily for a big renovation project, or maybe you need a bin more permanently for your business, I guarantee you're probably... That was a bit of a safe bet, wasn't it? I guarantee you're probably going to get a better price. No, I'm going to say it. I'm going to plant my flag. I 
guarantee you will get a better price because I've never heard otherwise from the satisfied new customers of Local Environmental Services after they've requested a quote by visiting localenvironmental.ca. John, our landscaping project, our personal project is infusing so much incitement into our family because we're seeing our vision come together. I can't wait to reveal it uh, to you real talkers. This is a project that has been in the works for a long time. Uh, We've been putting the resources away as a family to to be able to get that budget to where it needs to be. And of course, we had a lot of different ideas on what we wanted it to look like. But when we finally sat down with Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping, that's when it all came together. They took the spirit of our ideas and then they took their experience and the design that they have rolled out is blowing our mind and they're not even done yet. We needed a yard that would look good for adult parties and a yard that would be functional for kids and two 80 pound dogs. And they're pulling it off. They're a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on the ground experience in Edmonton and area. More proud of their problem solving than anything else. I saw them make an adjustment on the fly in our yard. I'm going to show you some video in the weeks to come. They realized that there were going to be some drainage issues. And the way that they adjusted the installation is so fantastic. No corners cut on the aesthetic part of it, but its function is already paying off. That's what you get when you take your business to Eden Landscaping. That's at landscapeedmonton.ca. Hey, have you circled August 10th on your calendar? It's coming up tomorrow. It's Miracle Treat Day at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Every single cent from their sale of blizzards at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road is going to go to the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. I probably don't have to tell you the Stollery is providing life-saving and life-changing care for young children and teens across Western Canada. Now, a lot of the Dairy Queens, and, and I'm not trying to start a fight here, but a lot of them will take their profits from blizzards, not the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. They take every single cent and they donate it to the Stollery. That's why their donations to date are in the seven figures. Show your support for the Stollery, for kids, and for Miracle Treat Day tomorrow. That's August 10th at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And if all this talk about the energy industry, we recognize there's been a lot of it on the show because that's what's happening in the world around us right now. If you're a professional engineer and it's got you thinking about new opportunities in your own personal life with your own career, take two seconds today to check out the careers link at apexautomation.ca. They're hiring and they're hiring engineers across disciplines. They're looking for those with a ton of experience and they're looking for recent graduates out of engineering schools across the country. If engineering, fabrication, automation, and Industry 4.0 floats your boat, if you love the idea of working for a company that provides opportunity for its valued employees to reach their full potential, a place where they put people ahead of profits, I mean, they just put a ping pong table into the lunchroom. They made space for it, John, because that's what their team members wanted. It's how they wanted to relax in the middle of the day. Check out the careers link today at apexautomation.ca. You might think a ping pong table is a small thing, but it's not a small thing. For people, you ask for something, an employer provides it because yeah. they realize it's going to infuse a little energy, all energy, improve the morale a little bit. That goes a long way. It Man, says a lot, you know. A ping pong table can start a war in an employment environment. Are you a big ping pong guy? 
I get very heated about ping pong. Oh boy, I've never seen this. Rally for serve. Let's rally for serve. Let's get going. I'm kind of. I'm, I'm a mid. I'm mid. When You're it comes mid to on ping that. Pong. I'm mid. <laughs> well, look I've, at you. I've seen my parents getting into it. You know, my dad diagnosed with Parkinson's several mm-hmm. years ago, and so they, they've really ramped up the, the the active nature of their lifestyle. They already did a lot of walks and bike rides and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But ping pong is one of the things they're really getting into. Mm-hmm. And I used to be able to keep up, and now they just smoke me at the ping you pong. You break table. a sweat so playing ping it's pong. It's not that fun anymore. Our, our, our eight year old is starting <laughs> to smoke me at ping pong, so it, it's losing its magic. But I'm happy to see everybody else enjoying it. We talked about smoking and vaping yeah. uh, last week, mm-hmm. and it prompted an email from Deanna who says, I, w- I was just listening to Real, she says, I'm catching up. We appreciate that. Those of you on road trips right now, those of you that are floating maybe out on the cabin with your AirPods in, we appreciate it. She says, first, we do know, like you said, that vaping's bad. Like, you know, you and I talked a little bit how they kind of not, we didn't give it a pass. Inhaling anything in your lungs that isn't, you know, oxygen Air. is is bad is bad uh and and so we're, we're sort of getting to the point of like well is it better than smoking but we don't know the long-term effects and there are mm-hmm. certainly trade-offs and this is true uh but also a quick note you should never take your medical advice from neither john nor myself no offense Jeez. john but uh, neither of us have gone to medical school don't. she says we do know that vaping's bad she says popcorn lung as you mentioned ryan is definitely documented enough to come to a conclusion that it's caused by vaping now specific mechanisms aside second it's very prevalent you know it's just easier to hide uh, she says my son just graduated and we had to have a smoking and vaping trailer for the kids to use because there are quite a few who do that even today and unfortunately it caused us to discover that my son is actually allergic he had to rush out of his own grad party she says we had no idea until that exact moment um, and they had not kept the air separate from the dance area and when was when the group was introduced onto the dance floor he had the beginning of a very serious reaction and luckily, he left in time to prevent the need for hospitalization. Have you ever heard about that? This is the first I've heard about no. that. I appreciate her putting it on our radar. She says smoking and vaping are more than just talking about like long-term effects. You know, for some people, the presence could be even life-threatening in the moment. Uh, Deanna says, I have a friend who had an instant medical emergency, a reaction to cigarette smoke. One way on the, uh, one day on the way into a movie theater, there was a young couple uh, about to light up outside. And uh, her friend asked them to wait until they got through the doors. And in defiance, can you imagine this? One of them lit up and blew smoke directly into my friend's face. Oh, geez. She says she dropped and had to have an ambulance come take her to the hospital. And I'm pretty sure those young men had a different attitude after that. Now, having to stay away from smoke doors uh, is a huge step in progress because it does have a big effect on people who are not smoking. I think of like hospitals and other locations that have implemented that 10 meter. I think actually it's bylaw for a lot of municipalities. Mm -hmm. You got to be like 10 meters away from the door if you're going to smoke. She says it's just so pervasive. It seeps into indoor spaces and spreads broadly. So few seem to acknowledge the fact that this really is an issue uh, that extends beyond just cancer for long-time smokers. Deanna says, please do keep talking about the hard issues. I absolutely love your show. Well, Deanna, thanks for taking the time to talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was the context of us talking about Health Canada as of last Tuesday. Yeah. Cigarettes sold in Canada, each one of them individually labeled just by the Mm -hmm. filter with a health warning uh, like poison in every puff. They've got a whole nightmarish story paragraph long on everyone. Yeah. That's right. Telling you about different people that have died or... No, I'm just kidding. But they they do have like full sentences now on the filters that basically say smoking causes cancer. 
you know, uh, can be detrimental, which is things we already knew. But uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I think it's a good thing. I, th- I, I, th- I think we all know this. We all know smoking is bad. And some of us smoke and I don't tread on those people, but we all know it's it's horrible. And it, th- like she was talking about there, it's horrible for people who don't smoke, who are around smoke secondhand smoke third hit we were talking about third hand smoke the other day yeah. can we just i don't know if we could be candid with you but you know someone smoked in your car and and you said you could smell it like a week later <laughs> it's literally like gets embedded but uh yeah you know what's actually worse than the smell of the smoke in the car though i i went and got one of those air fresheners uh, and and i strayed away from the og from the tree what'd you go for well it was it was like it had kind of a cool hawaiian design and it looked, had waves on it mm. it was made out of or it looked like it was the made pineapple. out of wood and so and it had it just got such a gnarly smell to it I actually had to throw it out i said i'd rather just live with the cigarette smoke for a few more days that gets mixed in with it <laughs> but yeah when we're talking about vaping i mean anything it, it, you can't push it as healthy like cigarettes i think when you smoke them there's like seven thousand chemicals or something that are ingested in your body and vaping has like four thousand so anything with thousands Thousands of chemicals into it going into your lung is is not going to be good. I actually saw online there's a, there's an alternative now. People are doing essential oils, which is basically like it's there's no vape, there's no smoke, there's no plume cloud. It's just uh, breathing in kind of essential oils, which again we don't know the long term effects of this either. But it uh, calms your nerves, it takes away anxiety, which is the main reason a lot of people smoke, right? It takes away stress. So now this is a third thing that we're seeing. It's really popular now. You see it all over TikTok. People yeah. in, in essential oil vapes. Ah, so. Tracy says, you know, there's too many people hanging on to the, the first information that was ever out that was suggesting that vaping was better than smoking. We know now that it's not true, but it's too late, and there's a lot of people that won't listen beyond that. Mm. Uh, Bunny Slipper says, there's vaping lung injuries that can happen. Like, it's not good at all. Um, Colin with a K says, if you want really good studies on vaping, look to the U.K., um, Justin says we really need to talk about secondhand smoke again. Like vaping is no different. You know, don't force people to breathe something they don't choose to. You know, I think why a lot of people feel like that you see these like huge clouds coming from people that are so vaping. much bigger than well, cigarettes. It's, it's because it's like, it, yeah, it's, it's like a plume, dude. There's people online. It's like a sport. But I think it's because it like smells like blueberry, it, and or it th- smells like you know some sort of like uh, you know like you said like coconut, and, and that, then so people feel like it's no big deal to just blast it out there. And that's the reason why it's all also dangerous because it's it's kids right it's it smells like bubble gum it smells like raspberries it smells like cotton candy right so you that's why you see a lot of kids underage who are vaping you know in high school and and the like so i yeah it's it's all bad but you know smoking is gonna be around yeah as long as people are around so yeah um I feel like we should do a show on this. I was just going to say we should do a whole show vaping versus smoking or just get an expert on who knows about all of it. But I want it. I I don't want it just to be like, you know, we, we get like someone to come on and be like vaping bad, smoking bad. Like, let's actually get into it. We'll give well, people information, um, you know, because we know how, how this goes. If you're anything like me, you're, you listen to this podcast or you listen to, you know, some of your other favorite shows and then and then you're going to hash it out with your friends, right? You're sitting around the campfire, mm-hmm. you're barbecuing or you're texting with, you know, somebody that you care about. You hear subject matter that relates to them. You're going to share the episode with them. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Thanks for everybody that does that. Um, and we want to make sure that it's more than just, you know, I care about about you uh, try to knock off this habit which mm-hmm. is which is a valid point but if you can actually give people information 
uh, that they can't ignore. If yeah. you give people information that, that will help them Unbiased. make healthy decisions, we want to have you around Real Talkers for many, many years along with this show. Well, it's like you just said when, when someone was like, vaping isn't better. Well, is it, is it not better? Because it is less harmful, but we don't really know. It's just different. It's like when somebody says, hey, I drink spirits instead of beer. Is there really a difference? So, yeah, I would love to get an expert in and just yeah. listen to him the whole time. Uh, him Kat, or her. Yeah, Kathy says, I was over at the in-laws on Sunday. A couple of people were vaping and the entire backyard smelled like raspberries, um, <laughs> and it, which, which like doesn't sound like a bad thing. But then Kathy says, and it was killing my allergies and I could just feel the impact on my lungs. Uh, Bunny says nothing better than going to the zoo with my toddler. Some jerks vaping away right around the crowds of kids. Mm -hmm. I heard it can be bad for pets, too. Is that right? Yeah. If you if you vape a lot in the house, I heard it can affect like your pet. Your pets can be allergic or have reactions to it as well. So so. even if you don't care about kids, think of the pets, Think of the animals, think of the animals. Coming up on tomorrow's Real Talk, we're going to get another angle on Alberta's Green Energy Moratorium. That's when the newly minted MLA uh, out of central Calgary, Najwa Aljunaid. She's the NDP energy critic, will join us, plus energy economist, probably one of the most widely respected in the country for his expertise. Uh, Dr. Andrew Leach will dig into the business of that ban on renewables. We hope you'll join us on the Thursday edition of Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com. 